Good morning, everyone. My throat was acting up just a little, and I was a bit crackling, and so I have a, a fisherman's friend stuck in my cheek. <laughs> okay. um, it's always good to be here in the house of the Lord and to uh, speak to you again, study of the scripture and learn something new. Uh, I learn as well. And also relearn, okay, and keep it fresh. <laughs> keep it in my heart and in my mind. So today I want to talk about how to use your five senses, actually spiritual senses. How to use your five spiritual senses. It'd be the sense of vision, which I'm beginning to have trouble with, but I do see the doctor next week. <laughs> uh, the sense of hearing, See how that comes out with the spiritual side of that. The sense of smell, sense of taste, and the sense of touch. What that can do for us and for others when we use our spiritual senses. We know in uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 it says, Stir up the gift of God which is in thee. Uh, Paul was writing to Timothy and encouraging him to use the things that God has given him to bless others as well as to bless the spreading of the gospel and the winning of souls. Uh, turn with me to uh, 2 Timothy and uh, chapter 1. I'm going to read a little bit here. Second Timothy. And I want to start with, uh, with the first verse. So, was, uh, well, better get that second Timothy. Second Timothy, uh, chapter one, and verse one. I wanted to look through the first six verses and uh, pick up a few things here and there as we go. So the first verse is, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. When we read these, we can just glaze over it, is a saying. We actually need to take it slowly. Paul is saying he is an apostle. That's because he had seen Jesus Christ in real life. He'd heard him preach in real life. He'd seen the miracles in real life. Okay, so that makes him an apostle. And uh, of Jesus Christ, that would be Christ's will that he should have that spot. But then he says, by the will of God. So God wanted him to have that spot to be the speaker to Timothy and to the other things that Paul did. Um, according to the promise of life, promise of life, eternal life. Ah, okay, then that makes sense, right? Eternal life is promised in Jesus Christ. So then he goes on. He's writing to Timothy. My dearly beloved son. Isn't that a neat way to greet a brother? And when I had an older brother in the faith one time, put his arm around my shoulders and we knelt down together and prayed. Boy, I mean, that was different. And I was only about 20, 21, 22. <laughs> Somewhere in there when that happened. And that was really a loving relationship that you'd have with an older brother in the faith that would do that for me. 
So this is what Paul is talking to Timothy about, his beloved son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, two people here, right? Two people. God the Father, so you know exactly who we're talking about there, and, and he had a name in the Old Testament because many false religions had gods and they all had names, and they would say, my God is so-and-so, what's the name of your God? Okay, <laughs> so God has a name. Uh, and then he adds, and Christ Jesus our Lord, the second one that he's concerned about, that he's wanting peace to be sent from Jesus Christ as well, grace and mercy and peace to be sent. I thank God. He means the Heavenly Father. And he could have put the name of the Heavenly Father in there, the name of Jesus there. Sometimes it's wise not to use a name because otherwise somebody will use it badly and wrongly and so on. Um, but he just said, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night. Wow. This brother, even though he's out there working at an altogether different idea, all, you know, his, his world that he's in, the city that he's in, the people that he's with, and, and he's remembering me. He said, I remember you, Timothy. I don't forget you. I'll pray for you in the night. I'll pray for you in the daytime. I remember thee in my prayers day and night. And he thanks God because of his family line. His mother, his father, he was a Pharisee, so the family line. He was a Benjamite, the family line. He's thanking God for all these things that uh, is on his mind all the time. But he said, I've got a clear conscience towards you because I say I'm praying for you and I'm doing it. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, greatly desiring to see thee. An older brother in the faith, but he just greatly desires to see him and to talk with him, to hear his voice and so on. There must be something here for touch and feel and sense and senses <laughs> okay. to know that he's there. Uh, being mindful of thy tears. Oh, he knew him well enough to know when he had tears. Uh-huh. He could visit with him about his tears. That's interesting. Usually men especially don't want to talk about tears. That I may be uh, full, filled with joy. I'm, I'm a little greedy here. I, I want you close to me and that I can touch you, feel you, talk to you, know your feelings, know your heart, because it's joy to me. I'm getting something out of this too. You know, this really does work. When I phone a brother way off, I won't use his name, <laughs> but I phone him often. When I hear his voice, it gives me joy. And when we visit for a while, it turns into an hour because we both enjoy it. We're both happy to be able to visit about it. And then he, Paul says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. What's in, what's in you? Where did it come from? Which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother uh, Eunice. And I am persuaded that it is in thee also. He said, I know where this faith came from. I know how you got it. I got the forerunner people that told you about it and explained things to you. 
Wow, I'm sure you got it. The faith. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but the but of power uh, and of love and of a sound mind. He's saying, I know you've got it. And he's thanking God for this, that he has the spirit of the Heavenly Father, not the fear, but of power. I know you've got the power of God with you. Use it. I know you have the love of God. Use it. I know you have a sound mind. Use it for the Lord. I think those are just wonderful things to think about one brother writing to another brother and saying those nice things to him. So let's look at some other things here. Um, the first sense, uh, sense of vision. Sometimes we've had the wrong tune played to this word vision. But it is true, it's a scriptural uh, word and it's a scriptural meaning that we need to think on. What kind of vision do we have? Are we short-term? Are we standing in a fog? You know, <laughs> um, we need to have a vision. So the first one is, of this is the spiritual sense of vision. In uh, Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18, I'm going to read that but maybe more here as well. Where there is no vision, people perish. And it goes on to say, But he, he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And I put a slash she. Okay, we talked about that in South School class, didn't we? That it's for both, or that it could be said in both ways. But we should be happy that we know about God's laws and that we're living them, obeying them. And uh, if you don't have a vision of what's going on, where are we going? Where's the ship going? What's the outcome of all of this that we're considering and what we're doing? Uh, how will it affect our spiritual life? How will it bring others to service to the Lord? But once we have that idea in our mind, we'll be able to go forward. Just a moment. Um, so a vision can be developed, and it can be developed for good or for bad. The, the scripture talks about some of those bad people that lay in bed at night thinking of bad things that they can do. <laughs> yeah. On their bed, they're planning bad things. We should not be that way. We should be looking for the good things. Find out what we're looking for. That's another thought. What do, what do we really want? What are we looking for? How can we find it? Uh, we can see God in action if we watch. We've talked about that on Wednesday nights as well. That if we if we think about our, our life that's all around us and we start looking for God doing things, and then you hear about them and you thank God for this circumstance and that circumstance because we can see God in it. We're looking, we're watching. We're trying to see what God has for us. 
we need to develop a sense of the needs of others. Go see. See what they're in need of. And understand their need. Uh, lending a helping hand. Witnessing. Winning the unsaved to Jesus Christ. We've got to know which they are. Some people, oh, don't judge me. No, we're not doing that. Judging would be eternal judgment. Hey, oh, you'll never make it. Well, that's a really bad thing to say. But we can determine that if a guy's staggering down the street and falling in the ditch and he's got a bottle in his hand, I guess he's not with the Lord like he ought to be. He needs, he needs some help. <coughs> Spiritual help. So that's wisdom, the sense of vision there as well. So let's take a look at uh, Acts First, in Acts 26, we've got a few verses kind of tied together with this one. But Acts 26 and verse uh, 19. All and 20. But we want to watch for this uh, division that could be here. I want verse 13, even, Acts 26. So, yes, I think if I go back over to 13 first, I'll get a, a better idea. Um, Paul is telling his vision to Agrippa. And he is going, going through the whole story. And it's good that he had enough time and they allowed him to speak. He said it was about noonday, and there was a bright light brighter than the sun that shone round about him. And he goes on telling about, in the Hebrew tongue, he heard the voice, and he said, it said, Paul, Paul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for you to kick against the bricks. And then, you know, he was a Pharisee. He knew everything. He knew about it. He knew what was going on. Uh, he was grown up in the faith. He, he was now trying to defend the church from this um, single person that was changing some things. You just read the Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you say, yeah, he is changing something. You used to hear so-and-so, but I tell you, oh, really? See, that would just make a Pharisee go bananas. You can't do that. He said, that was a Pharisee, and he said, um, and Jesus is talking to him here, saying that now that things are going to turn around, things are going to be different. Uh, and I say, who art thou, Lord, is what Paul says. And he's telling King Agrippa. So he said, I said. And he, this voice that was talking to him, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Now how are you going to go against that? i got to do what I was told. I've got to obey this spiritual person that is talking to me. I've got to do what's right. So he was taught, told to rise up and get on his feet. Get up, get on your feet, and get going. Well, not quite go yet, because he wanted to tell them that you're going to go into the city and it's going to be told to you what you need to do and what the purpose is in verse 16 there um, to make a minister out of you, <laughs> to witness, he's going to make him a witness. Both of these things which thou hast seen when he knew Jesus before all of this was happening. This experience that he's having right now, you're going to tell those things. 
uh, and of those things which I will appear unto thee. This is Jesus talking to him. He says, I'm going to show you some other things. You're going to be a witness of that. And delivering thee from the people, that's what Jesus is going to do, and from the Gentiles, he's going to protect Paul while he's got his speech going on, while he's delivering the message, unto whom now I send thee. It's being sent to the Gentiles. So you open... Uh, to open the eyes and, uh, and, and to, oh, did I try to just a second, I'm to get the last word there, and is the word I'm missing, to open their eyes, that's the Gentiles, and to turn them from the darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me, in Christ. So, now, and he's telling this to King Agrippa, and he's trying to get the really a point across to him. So now we get to this verse 19. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. So that was a vision that he was seeing and hearing. But he said, boy, I didn't want to be disobedient. I could understand the power that's here, the authority that's here with Jesus Christ. I, I wasn't going to be disobedient. But showed first unto them of Damascus. Okay, I'm doing this step. First of Damascus, so you can check me out, you can see what I said. You know, it's, it's right there in front. And at, at Jerusalem, that's within this realm as well. Okay, you can see that. And throughout all the coast of Judea. That's again, it's close enough that King Agrippa can figure this whole thing out. And then to the Gentiles, oh boy. Now King Agrippa maybe didn't want to know that because he doesn't want this to go all over the Roman Empire. So all those Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew is considered a Gentile. That they should repent, oh boy, and turn to God and do the works meet to repentance. Wow, King Agrippa, he's, he's getting double-barreled here, right? In a little bit, he's going to ask him, don't you want to make a step in this favor? Don't you want to stand for this truth that you just heard? And he's going to say, almost thou persuaded, persuadest me to be a Christian. That's in verse uh, 28. Well, there's same thoughts on this uh, darkness is in Luke chapter 2, verse 32. So I want to go to that darkness. Luke chapter 2. Somebody else had the same situation. Chapter 2, Luke 2, and verse 32. I usually need a little bit of extra room when we get into something like this. I need a little ahead, a little behind. What's going on here? So this verse 32, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. What's all going on in here? We'd have to back up a few verses. Let me slide this over a bit. I want to go back to, uh, I guess actually I need Luke 3 as well. So I'm right here. Uh, Luke 2, and I want verse 25. And onward. 
Okay, what was happening in verse 25? And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon. Oh, he was a devout man, just man, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he saw the Lord's Christ, the Heavenly Father's Messiah, Savior. He was not going to die before he saw that. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. The Spirit of God got a hold of him. Yeah, some of the, there's a song like that. Something got a hold of him, yeah. And he came into the temple. And when he, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to whom he, uh, to do for him after the custom of the law, of circumcision, he took him up in his arms, took him up in his arms, and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart this world in peace according to thy word. He was waiting for the time when his life would be finished and he was going to die. He said, you promised that I would live until I saw your Christ, and here he is, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. This, this child is a very, very special child. God prepared him. A light to the Gentiles. Oh, that's what Jesus' job is. A light to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. So, and there's no point in going further there because that's exactly what I wanted to get. Was that Jesus is this light that opens up darkness and will shine this light on the Gentiles as well as the, the uh, uh, Jewish people, Hebrew people. Okay, uh, down to 32, that's right. Okay, then Luke chapter 3, you'll go there for me just for a couple of words from the beginning of verse 8, I put an A after it. Bring forth, oh yes, who said this? Do you remember this? Who said this? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. Who is this in verse 8? John the Baptist, right? One crying in the wilderness. They said, who are you? What are you doing here? And he said, I, I'm, I'm the one that's supposed to announce the salvation of God. I'm just one crying in the wilderness. And he was supposed to tell them to bring forth, he said, who are you? Generation of vipers. They were bad guys trying to sneak in. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. It's in verse 7. He says, what are you doing here? Why? I guess sometimes we have to challenge our own reasoning of why we're at a certain point in our life. That's what he was doing. He said, I'm baptizing people, but why did you come? Do you really know what you're doing? You're just going to go down wet and come up dry? You know, go down dry and come up wet? It's <laughs> still a sinner. Or do you know really what you're doing? Are you going to be changed with this baptism? And so therefore first, verse 8, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. So we need to do something with our life. Make it worthwhile for the Heavenly Father, worthy of repentance. And then 
come and say, yes, I want to be baptized, so I want to join with this faith and belong to this faith. Okay, so that's uh, uh, a vision. Having a vision of what's going on. What, what was Jesus' cause? What was Paul's cause? What was the cause of John the Baptist? What were they doing? Where were they going? It needs to be ours, right? We need to go out and get them. Go get people. Win them for the Lord. Uh, and I wrote on the side here, Paul's vision is kickstart. <laughs> Sometimes we need a boot in the backside, I guess, to get us going. Or like a motorcycle, you have to kickstart it to you get going. Uh, yeah, Paul needed to start, and this was it. When, he, when the bright light shone around about him, and he was able to retell that story to King Agrippa and so on. So the second sense is uh, is hearing. The Bible verse says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's Romans 10, verse 17. We should actually look at 13 to 17. So turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 10. We know what we're after there. We just have to find out what some of the key points are. So Romans chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 17, is where I'm heading for, which I've already quoted for you. But let's go back to verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Wow. Shall be saved. That's, that's a done deal. Of course, we have to know what we're doing first, right? When we got it figured out, and we figured out that we want to belong to Jesus Christ, that we want to belong to the Heavenly Father, and we crawl, cry out and ask for that, that we can be on his side. We shall be saved. It's not like God might say, well, no, I'm not sure. You know, I might reconsider, but no, he shall be saved. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? That's not going to happen. You tell somebody, Go we'll, we'll and get a shovel and dig a hole over here. They don't know what a shovel is. It's not going to work, right? So how are these going to hear? How are they going to respond? If they've not heard, how can they believe? Somebody's got to tell them. And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Say, I want you to believe in this Messiah. But you never heard about him. That's not going to work. How shall they hear without a preacher? They need a John the Baptist, they need a Paul, they need somebody to bring that message and explain. You could sit, hand them the book and say, here you are, you figured it out. No, that doesn't work either, right? By the time they get through half of the Bible, they're not sure what they're doing. Because the, the knowledge of the Scripture is revealed by the Holy Spirit, right? Well, they haven't got there yet. They haven't got the Holy Spirit yet. You see, there's certain steps that are needed. So you have somebody show them, this is what you do first, this is what you do second. And when you're baptized, then you have laying on of hands and somebody receives the Spirit of God. Uh, and then, of course, you pray for yourself and you get the Holy Spirit more so. You're going to be able to understand the Scripture. You're going to be able to live with it. You've already heard who you should be praying to. How shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15. And how shall they preach 
except they be sent. That's really interesting when you think in Romans that Paul was sent, and yet he was a tent maker. But somebody else sent him there. We wonder about it sometimes when somebody says, well, I think I should go to a ministerial school. I think I should take a course in theology or a course in the Bible or a course in something. God is calling them. And they attain a certain level of understanding of how to teach and preach and talk and, and so learn, learn, learn the Bible, learn to read. If you don't know where Romans is in the Bible, you already have Rome. Okay. you got to have some knowledge before you can go out and teach others. And how, how can they preach unless they've been sent? <laughs> Went through some training. Uh, it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good good things. And, they, uh, and then they should learn. The next verse is giving a negative idea that they may not learn. But somebody still has to go. This verse was given to me one time about how they uh, uh, hear. Uh, no, let's see. I shouldn't have gone there if I wasn't ready to be there. Uh, oh, verse 17 again. Uh, how shall, uh, so then faith cometh by hearing. The person that was trying to sell me audio tapes, like CDs and so on, of the Bible. And he quoted this verse. And that's true. If they've never heard the Bible, never read the Bible, um, how can they preach it? How can they understand it if they haven't somehow received it? Well, you can read it. Receive it through the eyes. Or you can have it read to you while you're driving your car or taking a shower or whatever. You can have it read to you and you're getting the Bible. But also, if you read and see at the same time, read and hear at the same time, it's going to be twice as good. So verse 17 has a double meaning for me. Okay, going on here. Uh, yeah, I started thinking about all the voices that are calling on us, calling us. Um, you got voices of friends, you got voices of neighbors, you got voices of loved ones, voices on the radio, voices on the television set. You got airplane noises flying overhead for you to hear. Um, machinery howling, squealing, brakes, and all kinds of things going on. They're all asking for our mind, for the listening. We need to uh, rule some of those out so that we don't have to uh, have them distract us. We should be listening to the voice of God. He speaks through the Bible, through the Word, we say. He speaks through the Word. He speaks through the Holy Spirit and come and talk to us, give us thoughts in our minds. Through daily circumstances, it also will help us. This... Uh, we're in Acts 10. Go back to Acts 8. Acts chapter 8 and verse 16. But I want 16, 17, 18. Uh, go back to verse 16. 8, 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We should be able to exchange values or feelings, strengths, Spiritual strengths 
to say, okay, this is where it ought to be, this is what it should be doing. Um, and if children, if we are children of God, if we're children of God, then you take it one step further. We're actually heirs, heirs of God, verse 17, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified together. So there may be suffering. We need to put those two things together and say, if I'm a child of God, I'm a joint heir. I'm a somebody. I'm going to inherit what God has for us. So going on again to the sense of smell, move along maybe a little quicker, but the odor of a sweet smell is sacrificed well-pleasing to God as in Philippians 4 verse 18. We've, uh, maybe in our lifetime, we've had various smells come by that were nasty. And right away I thought of a smell of a sacrifice is burning hair. Ooh, that's a terrible smell. They had birds here that they would sacrifice too. They ever smell wet feathers and burning feathers? Oh my goodness. This has got to be uh, have a spiritual sense to it that we need to get past. Saying the sense of smell that is going to be a blessing, smell of a sacrifice that God is well pleased with. Our spiritual sense is developed by our sacrifice for God, for his church, and for the cause and purpose of the, of the church, the cause of Christ, the cause of the church. But we are sacrificing ourselves to that cause. Christ is spoken of as the Rose of Sharon. I wasn't sure on that one exactly, but I found it in um, Song of Solomon's chapter 2, verse 1. And then I got a cross-reference there to Isaiah uh, 34, verse 16 and 17, and Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. So I thought, oh boy, this is good stuff. Sweet-smelling savor is a reality when we accept Christ as our Lord and Master. It's really going to be a difference to us when we do that. So sometime you might want to take that verse in, in Psalm, uh, Song of Solomon 2 and verse 1. And it's got a cross-reference then so that you can get the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valley. And you go to Isaiah 34, 16 and 17, as well as Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. All talking about Jesus. Really wonderful to read. So I hope you write that down. Okay, next one is the sense of taste. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. It's in Psalm 34, verse 8. And it's got a whole chapter. But look, in fact, let's just take a quick look there. I won't read the whole chapter to you. But Psalm 34. If you've got your Bible marked, and you look at Psalm 34, you're going to get excited. Got some marks there. Psalm 34. And then you look at the top of the page. If you've got some notes at the top of the page that the uh, publisher wrote in, but on one side of the page it says, God to be praised for his goodness and power. And then across the other side is David praiseth God. And a continuation and privileges of the righteous. Oh, I, like I want to know what the privileges are. And that's in verse 34. 
So, and, and I mean, Psalm 34. Psalm 34, 1 through 22. You can see why I don't want to read all of that. But boy, it is so good that he'll be there and help us in troubles. Uh, he'll send his angels to bless us and take care of us. Um, of course, that also worked for Jesus Christ. Um, but they that seek the Lord shall not want of any good thing. I like that idea. If we'll just serve the Lord, he'll help us through troubles and uh, look after us. Uh, verse uh, 7 and 8, 8 is the one I was quoting. The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him and deliver them. Oh, we can stand that, right? We really like that. We need to pray and ask for that. And then verse 8 is, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Trust him, the Heavenly Father. Do his ways and his will, and he's going to bless us and take care of us. It just kind of goes on and on. I've got red stars on uh, verse 13 and 14 and 15 and 17 and 19. Wow. That's just a chapter that you need to read and let it soak in. That is a good one. Okay. Got to carry on here. So that's good food to take, take into our lives. God bless you. Uh, when we surround ourselves Surround, no, uh, surrender, started with an S. When we surrender ourselves to God, take, uh, partake of his living word of faith. What is it? The Bible. That's the Bible. The little song we sang, the B-I-B-L-E. Uh, yes, we need that, right? From when we're young enough to be able to remember the words. <laughs> we need the word of God. Uh, he comes into our hearts to abide with us. We, will, we are one together with the Lord in John 17. Let's go there. John 17. It's just one verse. We've been doing John on Wednesday night. It's taken us six months or more to get through the book of John. It's a good one. So St. John chapter 17. 17 and I want 23. I in them, and thou in me. This is Jesus. It's in red letters, right? Jesus talking to the Heavenly Father. And they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me. He's wanting the disciples to carry the message out there, so that they will know that the Heavenly Father did send Jesus. He's the real one. He's the real thing. And has loved them. They want to Wants, Jesus wants the disciples to know that they've been loved. As thou hast loved me. Make sure that this love connection is working, is what Jesus is saying. He wants the disciples to know that Jesus loves them and gave his life for them. He wants them to know about the Heavenly Father who sent Jesus. Jesus, or the Heavenly Father, wants Jesus to be known to be his son. And then he's going to receive honor and praise for that. This, this is a round circle, right? One, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, all the way around. Then verse uh, 24. Father, 
I will that they also whom thou hast given me uh, be with me where I am, that they may be both behold my glory which thou hast given me, uh, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Some people might want to play with some of those words, but how do you get past the one there at the end? Before the foundation of the world. Jesus was. Before the foundation of the world. And then God said to him, Let us make man in our image. Wow. That sort of places Jesus in a certain particular spot in history. Okay. Uh, going on there. Uh, the fifth sense is touch. This one really can be tender when you think it through a little bit. Uh, if I may touch the hem of his garment. you remember the lady that said that? She had a problem, a health issue. And if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Touch was very, very important. She thought, if I could just touch it with nobody knowing, it's going to happen for me. That's in Matthew 9. So turn with me to Matthew 9. We'll tell you a bit more of the story. And then also the circumstances that happened. So I'm going to make it way down to 21, but I want to start with verse 18. Verse 18. Jesus got busy with a ruler that came and said, uh, he worshipped Jesus and said, my daughter is at, is even now dead, but come and lay your hands on her that she may, that she shall live. Wow! Now that's faith. She's already dead. But if you'll lay your hands on, if you'll touch her, she'll live. Jesus said, I'm the life. Right? And this guy took it for face value. That's very good. He was a ruler of the people. And he came and he asked Jesus for that. So Jesus arose to follow him. And so did his disciples. And then along comes a woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. She needed help. And she thought, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to get that help that I need, the healing of my body. She said within herself, if I may but just touch his garment, I shall be whole. That was her faith. Then she touched him, and Jesus turned about. She touched the hem of his garment, and he knew. Another place it says he, he knew the virtue had gone through his body, the healing power had gone through him. To that woman. Wow. And he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. He knew what she was thinking. She thought, he read her thoughts, heard her thoughts. He knew her actions and why she was doing it. She knew his faith. And he honored her for that. This woman was made whole from that hour, from that moment, we might say. She was made whole. And then things went along here. Um, Jesus uh, got to the ruler's house, and uh, they, there was so much noise going on with the people. That noise, remember I was talking about what we hear, what, what gets in our way? There's a lot of noise going on. And he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed in the scorn. Do you think you've got troubles? This is the Messiah, the creator of the world. 
and they're mocking him. Laugh at him, laugh at him to scorn. Yeah. And then he, he said, okay, all the people you get out, go out. And he went in and took the maid by the hand, took her by the hand, and the maid arose. Life was given to her again. Her life came back into her. Oh, and by the way, she wasn't halfway to heaven and he had to bring her back. Wouldn't that be terrible? <laughs> if she was already in the blessed place and he had to bring her back. You know, I think the same of, should be said about uh, Lazarus being raised from the dead. He was well on his way. You know, this is four days since, you know, and he stinks by now. Then he came back. You know, almost scold Jesus for bringing him back. And if he was going to the good place, let him go. <laughs> but, but sleep. He was asleep. And that is something that is very different. Uh, when you deal with uh, funeral homes and funeral books and so on, and they start talking about this strange thing about somebody that's asleep. And one day they're going to wake up with the trumpet blows. This is an odd teaching. Some group that has us, not the formal groups of people. Here it is. Jesus believed this. Jesus talked about it. He said because he sleeps. And or this lady was sleeping. And uh, he took her by the hand and she rose up. And the fame thereof went abroad into all the land. Then Jesus departed. Along comes two blind guys. And he said, uh, you know, have mercy on us. And he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, be it unto you. He touched them and straightly charged them not to tell others because he was going to be overwhelmed. He wouldn't be able to go from city to city. There'd be thousands following him. Anyway, that's the, the idea here is that Jesus can heal by touch. How much good do you think we can do by touch? Oh, yes. You read any counseling book and it says touch. It's very, very important. When we pray for people, we need to touch them. That we can be there in, in behalf of Jesus to touch people for their salvation, for their health, for their strength, for their healing, for financial assistance. We can touch them to give them strength physically, mentally, and spiritually. That's why we've got a doctrine actually on touching people, laying on of hands. Okay, there is, a, there is such a doctrine that some people view, and we made sure it was in ours. According to your faith, Jesus said, be it unto you. So we need these spiritual senses to be fired up. We need to be in a sense of vision, a sense of hearing, a sense of smell, and sense of taste and touch, that we can use these senses for our Lord and Savior and our Father, Jehovah God, may God bless you.